Hello, everyone. Very good to be here. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to come and worship you today. And um, I know you won't make the, miss the opportunity to speak to us. I pray that we wouldn't miss the opportunity to hear you and to put it into practice. Amen. Imagine you're in the church office. Post comes every day, but this time someone's coming. A man in a van, not the normal postman. Really, really, really big box. Um, wondering who this is from and who it's to. Have a look at the label. It's from the bishop. It's to the PCC, the leadership team, and anyone in the church who wants to read it. It came two years ago. It's the bishop's, I think, 12 transformational goals. We're to read them, mark them, pay attention to them, put them into practice. We're told in a couple of weeks, the archdeacon's going to be coming back just to check how we're getting on. How are you getting on with the 12 transformational goals? If you were to boil them down, there's only one that really, well, no, they all matter, But there's one that matters more than any other within our diocese. And it's really, in summary, uh, to be disciple-making disciples. Patrick, how are you doing? What will I say? Today, we're recipients of another parcel, maybe, the next installment of an important letter Again, it's not one that you can easily get through the letterbox. It's from the Apostle Paul, not a bishop, but an, um, what was he? An apostle. I've just said it, no less. He hopes to visit them soon as well. Paul's audience, Jews and Gentiles, they're Christians in Rome. It's a letter directed to us too. A very quick summary. I know a few of you missed a couple of weeks, so the last little while, but Romans so far up to Romans 12 in a couple of paragraphs. Paul's not ashamed of the gospel, um, makes an, an appeal to his hearers to trust in God, to put their faith in God. If they do so, they're going to be justified, declared righteous by God through faith alone. That's the key thing, Romans 3. We, like the Roman church, are to acknowledge that we've all sinned. Don't like saying that word, do we? But we've all sinned, fallen short of God's glory, his perfect standard. And that by God's grace and his grace alone, we can be forgiven and enter into his eternal family when we put our faith in Christ. Romans 8.1 reminds that there's no condemnation for those who've made this step of faith. As a result, here's the really, really good news, 8.39, nothing can separate us from God and his love. Our response, Romans 12.1, therefore, in view of God's mercy, we're to offer our whole selves in worship to God. When we cooperate with God, he will continue the ongoing transformational process, the renewal of our minds and our hearts. Today's passage from Romans 12, 
verses 9 to 21, answer part of the question, how then shall we live? When I read Romans, sometimes it's just a little bit too much for little me to be able to process, but it's all really good stuff. Now, I'm not a list person. However, if something's really, really important, occasionally I'll do a list. Any list people in the congregation? One or two. I don't know how you're going to respond to this. The first time I can remember writing a proper list when I was deciding whether to marry Alison or not. I didn't want to trust my emotional response in that situation. Blind love? Or maybe we need to make some sort of sober judgments about things that we're going to give our whole lives to. It's the same with our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This passage has a long list of instructions about how to live our lives in response to God's love. I'm told in one diocese, it's not in this country, they don't send out transformational goals, but the bishop writes to every parish in the diocese and he sends them uh, Romans 12, 9 to 21 to work out and to put into practice. And he says also he's coming back to check when and see how the church is getting on with them. How would you... um, This is a bit of an awkward question because you don't have to receive it from a bishop. God's already written it to each and every one of us. Well, I think quite helpful, just very quickly, Romans 12, um, page 1139. I'm going to do a to-do list and a not-to-do list. So if you want to follow, I'll probably miss a few. You can tell me after if I missed a few. I'm sorry. But we're going to go through the lists here. But I'm going to start with the not-to-do list. Page 1139 in a Bible next to you. Verse 14, do not curse. Verse 16, do not be proud and do not be conceited. Verse 17, don't repay evil for evil. In effect, turn the other cheek. Verse 19, do not take revenge. Verse 21, do not overcome evil by evil. Most of us, if I gauged a congregation right, would think that these were reasonable requirements by God and by God's grace and with his help. We'd choose to live by them, wouldn't we? How about the, <coughs> excuse me, how about the to-do list? It's a longer list. Thankfully, there's a lot of grace on supply to help us with this list. Verse 9, be sincere in love. Let love be genuine, <coughs> constant, unhypocritical. Hate evil. Cling to good. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another. Verse 11, be zealous for the Lord. Hearts and minds on fire with the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, be joyful, be patient, be prayerful, be generous, be hospitable. Verse 14, bless others. Verse 15, rejoice with others. Get alongside alongside those who are grieving and struggling. 
16. Live in harmony. 17. Do right. 18. Live at peace. 19. Leave judgment to God. 21. Overcome evil with good. Phew. What a list. Busy diocese. Busy churches. Trying to put those into practice. Thank God that we're covered by his grace and don't have to earn our salvation. Now, sifting this long list and making it simple for me, I thought, well, I better just focus on one today, which um, is not more important than any of the other instructions. And if applied, it would certainly be a transformational goal. With unity at its heart, it's a prerequisite for a flourishing church and the healthy functioning of our world order. Romans 12, verse 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. I think this is especially relevant this week as we approach the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War. The Great War. The war that people vainly hoped would be the war that ended all wars. There's sadly been all too many wars and conflicts since. Some of us have lived most of our lives, not all of us, in, but in relative peace. However, when not everyone plays by the same rules or peace is hard to find, when evil seems to reign and we witness inhumane acts, it's necessary to act. There's been extensive debate about conflicts or wars, whether they're justifiable or not. A minority would say no at any cost. They're pacifists and whatever the circumstances, they wouldn't enter into conflict. Although most people, and me included, are not in this camp, but would advocate peacemaking rather than warmongering, certainly. But we might recognize that just sometimes military intervention is required. Christian ethicists have um, developed something called just war theory. Have you come across just war theory before? Well, lots of people try and give a summary. I still trust the BBC. So this is, this is their summary. Three important principles. That taking human life is seriously wrong. That governments have a duty to defend their citizens and defend justice. That protecting innocent human life and defending important moral values sometimes requires willingness to use force and violence. It's a theory to guide political decision-making for nations, but it's not a code for individuals 
to take justice into their own hands. This week, on Friday, I consulted two expert theologians, Roger Hidden and Chris Kingston. They're members of our congregation. Does anyone know these two people? On Friday mornings, they're doing new sheets and notice sheet folding as well, serving all of you lot. But I thought I'd ask them the question and whether they would comment on just war theory. And Roger thought that just war theory allows a small evil to defeat a greater one. And Chris said that just wars defend the weak. No one would suggest that war is a good thing, but many may agree that it's the lesser of two evils. Just war theory is seen as a deterrent. We're never to be quick to enter into conflict, but as Christians, we also need to leave space for God's judgment. God is not deaf or blind or impotent, but will act in his own good time and in ways that he sees best. Not always quick enough for some and not always in our lifetime. In the meantime, Paul's instruction remains. Romans 12, verse 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. We know in the early church there was sometimes conflict with wider society and their belief systems, a culture clash. Also, conflict within the church when integrating Jews and Gentiles together. With church, we know that there can be tensions and conflict over religious practice and when people from different backgrounds have tried to come together. I was speaking with someone that you may know. He worked for the church, the children's worker, Stu Wright, during the week who was sharing some amazing stories about how God worked through this church youth group and the community youth group a few years back. Can any of you remember those sort of things that were going on then? He spoke of some faithful people in all our congregations um, working with him. It wasn't just him. Not only did young people from unchurched families come to faith, but apparently some of their parents did too. But I understand there were some challenges in merging a couple of groups, the regular church congregation and those from slightly different backgrounds that had found faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He confessed that with hindsight and a few more years of ministry experience under his belt, he might have done things slightly differently. Wonderful seeds were planted and they can still grow. In the wider church, we know that there can be lack of peace because of conflicts about theology and Christian practice. Those who offer opinions need to do so for the sake of Christ, actually, with wisdom, truth, grace, and love. Romans twelve eighteen. If it's possible, as far as you are able, live at peace with one another.
it takes two sides to make peace. You can't force peace on anyone and need to be open to do it and to do all that is sensible to be peacemakers. What's the opposite of peace? I'll give you a few moments to think. What's the opposite of peace? Conflict? Disagreement? Hate? Discord? Disharmony? Fear? Fighting? This is going to appall some of you. How about unpeace? Or being unpeaceful? Never very good at English. What might it look and feel like? At its root, it may reveal pride, selfishness, self-righteousness, unforgiveness. Unpeace or being unpeaceful can mean that our internal conflicts bleed into our relationships with God and others. The promise and the wonder of the gospel is that we can, be, we can make peace with God, ourselves and each other. It's a process. It's not a quick fix. Some of you will know when it comes to forgiveness that we're encouraged to go on forgiving 70 times 7. And I believe the same principle of persistence can be applied to being peacemakers. In Judaism, when they talk of peace, they speak of shalom. It's a state of wholeness and harmony. When peace is at stake or even seems to be robbed, we often want to take justice into our own hands. In the NIV translations of our Bible, you'll read verse 19 that we are called to leave room for God's wrath. Leave room for God. Tom Wright says, allow God's anger room to work. Or in the New International Commentary, Douglas Moo writes, give place to wrath. None of these are very palatable for us. It's leaving room for the loving judgment of God, his love and his mercy. It's giving a place or making a space for God to be God. When we leave room for God to be God, we risk that God will not treat people as we necessarily would. In the areas of extreme injustice, the passage implores us that we don't take matters into our own feeble hands, but put them into God's hands. Verse 19, it's mine to avenge, I will repay. We know that God is completely just. We know that if folks confess their sin and selfishness, he will forgive them just as he's forgiven us. How comfortable are we to apply that principle to others beyond ourselves? 
He won't tell them what they've done is good or right if it wasn't. As we leave room or space for God, we're also called to give give each other a little bit of breathing space. Dare we cut those we're in conflict with with a bit of slack. Afford them some of the unmerited grace we've received from our merciful Heavenly Father. Romans 12, 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. It's said repeatedly that we can often be our own worst enemy. God wants us to have peace of heart, of mind, of soul. This is most likely if we leave room for God and his grace and his mercy If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Christian spirituality is sometimes counterintuitive. We might not know peace because we've not left enough room for God. You lead a busy life and you say you have no time. Leave more room for God. You're considering a big change in your life. It might be a change of God, a job, change of God. You might even be considering that, actually. A little bit of a slip there. But if you're thinking of changing your God this morning, would you leave room for the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of his Holy Spirit? If the running of our homes and families sometimes feels like there's too much to figure out, leave room for God. In some complex personal situations, leaving room for God may also mean speaking to professionals the medical profession, to counsellors. You feel swamped by stress. Leave room for God. You're restrained and even crippled by unforgiveness. Leave room for God. You're carrying wounds from broken and damaging relationships Leave room for God. You're battling with addiction. Leave room for God. Not all of us are struggling today, but we might be tomorrow. But if you're feeling truly blessed, leave even more room for God. In every situation we face, whether mourning the death of a loved one, Suffering, affliction or persecution. Celebrating a freedom, a gift, a triumph. When we have much to rejoice about and praise him for, or experiencing abundant blessing, leave room for the author and sustainer of life. Leave room for God, his mercy and his justice. If it's possible, as much 
as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. I pray that as we leave room for God, we'll find and share his peace that passes all understanding and that he'll guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.